and welcome to Talking Dirty at the Library, where we'll talk about what's growing here in Athens and Limestone County, Alabama. Each podcast features master gardener experts discussing ways we can cultivate better gardens and better lifestyles through local gardening and Limestone County Extension programs. Hello, everyone. This is Karen Malone and Sandy Campbell. Uh, Limestone County Master Gardeners and we are here today at Talking Dirty at the Library and we're going to talk about the calendar for Alabama through the month of June and July and answer a few questions that listeners have for us. Of course in June is kind of the peak gardening month for everybody who's been planting vegetables. You know we start seeing all of that come to fruition. The tomatoes and the watermelons and, <laughs> and all the, the good stuff yeah all the good stuff starting to get to size that we can actually harvest them but other things going on in your yard if you have nuts and fruits grapes you need to continue with your spray program if you have apples and peaches you want to be sure to thin back if too thick and by that get rid of some of your fruit although that sounds counterintuitive less fruit will bear better fruit as opposed to a bunch of small fruits on your trees. Uh, Lace bugs can be a problem during this time of year. On your azaleas and dogwoods, you want to check that out and take care of that. And if you're thinking about taking any cuttings from any of your shrubs, this is the time of year to do that, June or July. And you can take that from shoots or semi-mature wood, and if you want, you can dip those ends into some sort of rooting hormone compound to expedite that. Um, If you're a lawn person, if you've got lawns out there, this time of year is when you want to put nitrogen out on your grasses, your Bermuda grasses, St. Augustine's. Mowing, everybody knows if you're going to mow, mow often, five to ten days, and just cut one-third off the top of the grass. Any more than that in the summertime, you could really harm your grass. And of course, just water as needed. I'm, I'm a native person, so I don't have a lawn, and I just don't water in the summer. You know, I kind of let the plants do whatever they can, and if it dies or goes dormant because of the heat or drought, I'm okay with that. But some people love their lawn. I, I do have a small patch of Bermuda in the backyard, but even with that, I'll, I'll let it go. Of course, Bermuda is pretty drought tolerant, so it'll stay green through a lot, yeah. of, lot of stuff. Um, annuals and perennials. Remove any flower heads to help your flowers continue to bloom. You're going to be monitoring for insects and disease. Bulbs, a lot of times now the bulbs, flowering plants have yellowed and start to lay down or become dry. You can remove those at this time, or if they're in an area of your yard that you mow, you can mow those. Um, Scale insects on shrubs might be a problem. Use materials other than oils. Any of the insecticide soaps will help with any of those little soft-bodied insects. July is pretty much about the same, uh, but you can get any of this information for every month on the aces.edu webpage, aces.edu, and you can punch in the extension program number. And for the month of June, it's A N. R two six one eight, and then for July it's A N R two six one nine. You can just download those and have them on your computer if you don't have the way to print them out. 
We had some questions from listeners. And the first one is, is pre-emergent safe for pets? I think the general rule with any kind of herbicide is that it's not harmful to animals because it's designed to affect the hormones of plants. But pesticides can be a problem. And the best thing to do is to just check the label, read the fine print on your label, and make sure that whatever you're using is safe for your pets. Yeah. And that's just good advice to follow for any time you use a herbicide, pesticide, chemical of any sort. Um, just be very aware of how that product is used and follow the instructions. It's very tempting to think more is better. If this much works, then this much will work even better for my issue. But that's not always the case. And just one thing I want to point out as an example is... Um, Roundup has a new product. It's been out maybe three or four years, and it's called Roundup 365. And it says it will kill your weeds for 365 days out of a year. But if you read it real closely, the only place it it recommends applying that is in the cracks of sidewalks and driveways and whatnot, not out in an application in your yard like you would any other herbicide. And I think, well, if people don't read that, there's going to be a lot of harm done with that product. And so it's just things like that, that you think, goodness, just the regular old Roundup would be just as well used in that application instead of buying that product that's 365 days of the year. Right. And it's probably a lot more expensive. Yeah, certainly probably more potent. (coughs) Something allows it to be effective for a whole year. But anyway, just kind of my thought. Yeah. Once again, be very careful reading those labels. Well, that feeds right into our next question, which is, can you get rid of weeds without using chemicals? Well, pull those puppies up. Although, of course, some, when you pull them up, they'll break off and you can't get the whole root out. And so that's a good time to use an herbicide or something of that nature. Something I've had success with is a vinegar solution. So if you just take your white vinegar that's usually 5% acid, put it in a spray bottle, and spray it on the leaves of the plant you want to get rid of, then you might have to go back and do a second dosage. But that's a good way to get rid of it without using a chemical. And as with herbicide, be real careful about getting on neighbor plants because if you get it on a desirable plant, it'll kill it too. Hmm. So that can work a lot of times. That can work. Another way to control the weeds, if you have a large area, is with tillers and mowers. Mm -hmm. You can till the soil and prevent the germination of some of the weeds. Yeah, that loosening of the soil helps you pull things up by the roots. That's true. And um Unfortunately, that's just the gardener's nemesis. Is there's always going to be... <laughs> there's be, always weeds. There's always something you don't want in there. Uh, the, but I also say, you know, sometimes you just look at things with a little bit different eye. And um, if you can see the benefit of something in your garden, and just keep it under control and not worry so much about eradicating it, especially if it's a native species. Right. It's, it's got its place and purpose in the whole food web. It does. Another way of helping to control weeds, at least, is by mulching. You can mulch with the pine bark or with straw, leaves, Mm -hmm. old newspapers, and landscape fabric. 
And that helps to retain soil moisture, reduces the soil temperature, and it suppresses weed germination. Yeah, that's a good way. One of my favorites of those that you just mentioned is the newspaper. To me, it's far better than the landscape fabric because over time, things settle on top of the fabric and will grow and the roots get down in the fabric and it just kind of becomes a mess that you have to pull up and redo. But with the newspaper, and if you put it down thick, I'm talking, you know, three, five, six pages thick, over time, that will degrade, and then if you find your weeds are starting to poke back up, you can just put another layer down. You don't have to worry about digging all of that up and, and getting rid of it like you do with the old garden fabric. Yeah, you know, the landscape, landscape fabric. fabric. Yeah. The other thing about mulch, there are many different kinds of mulch out there, and mainly what you want to look at is the size. Like the pine bark is usually small, and then there's what they call the... Um, cypress cedar blends that are usually big. Sometimes those are labeled no float mulch. So the fine mulch is good because it helps amend the soil, but it's real easy to run off with a rain. But the bigger mulch that's just kind of shredded pieces, and some of it might even be as big as your finger, you know, that, that type of big mulch. That will not float away, and the thing about that is that it's more beneficial in keeping weeds out because the particles of that are so big, and as they lay across each other, they leave big holes and gaps, and it's real hard for a seed to get settled in there and put root down because of those openings. Whereas with the little fine mulch like the pine bark and and others, it's real easy for a seed to put down a root. So you might want to keep that in mind as you mulch your yard, your garden. Very good. The next question is, is soil testing recommended for the average yard? Um, I suppose it depends on what you want to do. You know, if you just have a lawn, which I have a lawn, I don't care what the soil is um, because I'm letting whatever's local native just grow up. But if you're wanting to put uh, some Bermuda down in an area or if you're wanting to put a flower garden or ornamental garden in, it would be beneficial for you to get a soil test, mainly to know the pH, you know, knowing the components of your soil, which they'll tell you how much potassium, nitrogen, oxygen, um, calcium, calcium, yeah, all those sort of things. And some plants are very particular to those and others are not. And if you tend to go with native plants, you don't have to concern yourself with that quite as much. Uh, but some of your ornamentals, and especially your azaleas and hydrangeas, you know, they like a little bit more acidic soil. So Yes. And also, the soil test will give you the data needed for fertilizing your lawn. You'll know exactly what you need to supplement, what's needed in your fertilization That's real important because each one of those things, nitrogen, potassium, and uh, phosphorus, phosphorus, each have a different role in the plant's growth. You know, nitrogen helps put on foliage, and potassium helps with the fruit or flowers. So getting that balance just right is important. And I'll give you an example. (laughs) And I'm a master gardener, and I did this. I put out some... um, I I mix in my garden beds different plants. 
vegetable plants. And so I put some tomato plants in my flower bed and I thought, well, uh, I'll just side dress uh, the tomato plants with actually a fertilizer that was for tomatoes. And I had a little extra in the cup and I just thought, eh, I'll just sling it over here on my cannas. <laughs> and my cannas started blooming at about Oh, 18 inches, two foot tall. I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never seen that happen before. But just the mix of that to produce fruit on the tomato sent the same message to the cannon. So now I'm, I've kind of gone back and added a little more nitrogen rich fertilizer to see if I can balance that out and get a little height on them. But who knows? <laughs> you have to look, be careful. The last question is I don't have a green thumb, but why do my plants all die even though I water and fertilize them? That can be from a whole host of things. Um, I think probably what most people do is they'll see a plant blooming, you know, at the nursery and just fall in love with it because it's beautiful and whatever. And even they know, okay, it says sun, I'll get it out here in a sunny spot when I plant it, and it still doesn't do well. It could be the soil. It could be that it was root-bound and wasn't properly, you know, had the roots stretched out before it was planted. It might be that where you planted it was sunny at the time, but if you watch the whole progress of the sun and shade throughout the year, maybe by the summertime, the peak of summer, it's now in the shade because of the tilt of the earth on its axis, which is what brings us summer, spring, winter, and fall. And so when you planted it out there, it looked like, oh, it's going to get sun all day. But by the middle of the summer, maybe there's some trees casting a shadow a lot earlier than you thought, and it's not getting as much sun as you thought. I helped a lady who uh, was having some trouble or she thought she was having trouble with one of her rose bushes. She had two rose bushes planted on either side of her garage, and she said, this one's just going gangbusters, but no matter what I do to this other one, it just, I bought them at the same place, same time, same species, variety. And I said, well, it comes down to sun. This one gets so much more sun than that one does during the day. And the one that got sun was almost twice as big. So... It's just little simple things like that that we don't take into account. It's true. Right place, right plant. Mm -hmm. And watering is another one. That's right. You could either be overwatering or underwatering. Yeah. So it's real important to read those little tags when you buy those ornamentals especially and follow them as closely as you can. If it says it needs six hours of sunlight, you, you need six hours. You know, four hours it might live, but it's not going to thrive. That's true. Is it too late to start a vegetable garden? What should I plant now? Uh, To me, it's never too late. Right. Um, You probably don't want to plant tomatoes too late uh, right now. I mean, you can, but don't expect any production from them until the fall. Because honestly, about July to August, it gets so hot that the production of tomatoes will slow way down. And so you'll hear people talk about a fall crop of tomatoes. And what they'll do is a lot of time is just take a cutting from their spring tomato plants and then put those in the ground around August. And so as they're blooming out, they'll start producing in September and October when it's a little bit cooler. They'll produce up until the frost. That is a good way to lengthen the time that you can gather tomatoes. Mm -hmm. 
there's lots of different plants that will they take off and so actually things like pumpkin the recommendation is not to plant them until around the 1st of July so that they are coming into production in September, October when you want them for Halloween and whatnot. Almost any kind of squash can be planted now, zucchini, yellow neck, uh, your cucumbers, Mm -hmm. all those vine type of plants. You can plant them now and they'll, they'll do fine. Just depends what you want to grow. Right. The things you would not want to plant right now would be like cabbage and lettuce. Right. And any of those because they need colder weather. Yeah. Carrots are another. Yeah. You can plant sweet potatoes now and they'll harvest in the fall. Probably even regular potatoes, I would think. Yes. You those you could plant now yeah. also. Yeah. Another question was about blueberries. It says, uh, what kind should I plant and what type of soil do they like? I know that in this area, rabbit eye is one that's recommended, mm-hmm. and I believe they like acidic soil. Yep, that's true. And how do I keep the critters away? Well, the birds love them. Honestly, I don't know other than netting, and I think people have had varying amounts of success with that. Probably when I see people not worry about the birds and such with their blueberries is when they plant so many, it doesn't matter. You know, you plant so many bushes that... You just let the birds get what they're going to get, and you get the rest, (laughs) and you still have plenty. (laughs) Another question is regarding native plants. So do you fertilize native plants? Um, You shouldn't have to. I uh, grow native wildflowers and some other natives in my yard, and I really don't fertilize them. I don't water them. (laughs) I don't do anything with them, and that's why I have them is because they're so low-maintenance. And there's a lot of things that are considered native, but you want to make sure that, I guess, that they're native to the southeast or even, you know, like North Alabama, where we're at. And that will have an effect on what you have to do with them. But honestly, all my things like my coneflowers, my daylilies, I just don't really, I don't do anything to them. I just let them go, do their own thing. Um, We have another question about, do you prune perennials? I assume that you're talking about perennial flowers there? I would assume. I would think anytime you can deadhead a flower, you're going to get more production out of it. So in that regard, maybe cut back on that. I do have some chrysanthemums that I've grown in pots over the years, and they'll want to start blooming around... June, July, I'll see little buds on them, and I go in and I cut all those off because I want them to bud out in September. So in a way, yeah, I'm pruning that. I don't, I don't worry too much about how I prune them other than just cutting that, that all off. Yes. If you don't cut those back, I know that they get real long and leggy if you let them go by August or September. Yeah. So that's a perennial that you prune. Another would be roses. Because you do need to prune your roses. Yes, that's true. Although roses kind of have a reputation for being fussy, and they can be, but there's so many different varieties out there that allow them to not be as fussy and almost hard to kill. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, sometimes if you prune them too soon in the spring, they can die back. So this time of year would probably be a good time to just prune off the dead flower heads to get new growth. And one thing, also talking about roses, this is not really about pruning them, but 
I know that a neighbor of mine had several roses that had rose rosette disease. And the only thing you can do with those is to dig them up and either bag them and put them in the trash or burn them. Yeah. Yeah, there's sometimes there's just things you can't overcome without them worrying about them spreading to other plants. I think we've answered all the questions. I think so, Karen. We have solved all gardening problems. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope everyone has a good day. Get out and get dirty. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Talking Dirty at the Library, a podcast produced by the athens Limestone County Public Library in Athens, Alabama. This podcast is produced in cooperation with the Limestone County Extension Office and Master Gardener Program. Join us next time to see where we're growing. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the athens Limestone County Library website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.